Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Asiri, and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-service career and life. Each week on the show, I meet with a military veteran to learn about their career, what they do, how they got there, and advice for others seeking to do the same. Today's episode number 413, 3X Growth in Two Years as CEO with Justin Wells at Interlace.io. about five months um, to learn the business and, and get a hold of everything. And then March of 2020, the world shut down. So we lost about uh, 25 to 30% of our revenue overnight. Well, first of all, today's interview was a reminder for me of the power of a cold email. I came across Justin's uh, profile on LinkedIn a while back and just sent him a, a note out of the blue. And he took the the, the call and uh, so gratefully did because I learned a lot from our interview. Today is, is a different story than I've heard before because Justin didn't found a company. He was working at a company called Intuit. He was getting a lot of experience in product and innovation. And he was contacted by a company right when he was starting his own entrepreneurial journey. He had set aside six months to try to start his own company. And right at the start of that journey, a company reached out to him about uh, having the possibility of him take over as CEO. It's a path that I haven't heard of a lot. It's something that he's done really well at tripling the size of this company in those two years. And that's in the two years where it started with the pandemic and he lost a third of his revenue overnight. I loved this conversation. Um, I keep an ear out for when he talks about uh, he took action while on active duty, earning his MBA, um, volunteering to pad his resume, and was really thoughtful so that when he got out of the military, his resume was mostly non-military items, which was a really cool idea. I learned a lot from Justin. He seems like a natural coach. I think that comes through in the conversation, and I'm personally looking forward to keeping in contact with him and continuing to learn from his example of leadership. As always at beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find show notes with links to everything we discuss in this conversation. You'll also find over 410 episodes all offered for free. In the podcast section for our website, there's a a way in the bottom of the page to sort and search the episodes by industry, branch of service, so many different things. There's a ton of wisdom there, and I'm hoping you're taking advantage of it. So with that, let's dive into my conversation with Justin Wells. Joining me today in San Diego, California, my guest is Justin Wells. Justin, welcome to Beyond the Uniform. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here. So listeners, here is a very quick bio on Justin. He is the CEO at Interlaced.io. It's a 50-person IT services company in San Diego. They provide premium IT managed services, essentially enterprise-grade IT programs and fractional IT departments with expertise in Apple, cloud, and networking. Justin started out at the Naval Academy, after which he served in the Navy for 10 years as a naval aviator. He earned his MBA from UC San Diego while on active duty and joined into it after he left the Navy, where he focused on innovation strategy as well as business development and growth partnership. 
Uh, Interlace.io was founded in 2009, and Justin took over as CEO two years ago, tripling the size of the company over that time through organic growth and a recent acquisition. And and just for context, I um I forget how I found you on LinkedIn, Justin. I, I was doing some snooping around, and I just kind of, whenever I see an interesting company that has a military person, I did a cold email, and Justin responded to that. So a quick plug for cold emails for everyone listening. I'd love to hear about your transition out of the Navy. What was that like? Yeah, so I was having a great time in the Navy, loved the culture. I was a helicopter pilot in the LAMPS community, the HSM community in, in the Navy, for those that are familiar. We did these kind of entrepreneurial deployments. So we, we spent a year on the back of a destroyer. We packed up a couple of helicopters and a $50 million worth of spare parts and went out to do whatever it was the Navy was going to have us do. And we got to do things like counter piracy and counter narcotics and things that we just didn't train for. And so I really resonated with that type of small team community. And I really thought of it as like kind of like a a startup every time you go up on a deployment. I got really fascinated with all the startup culture and innovation and started listening to podcasts and reading books. And that's what really pulled me to, to go and do an MBA. UC San Diego has a really good innovation culture, really great innovation curriculum. And so I, I use that as kind of the launching off point for my um, for my transition. While there, part of the curriculum the curriculum is to start a business. And so a couple of my classmates and I started a startup to try and go and build an airport food delivery service at San Diego International Airport. And so we went and knocked on doors at the airport, got an audience with their board, presented them a pitch. We were out trying uh, simultaneously trying to pitch angels and things like that. And so that was really the passion around business and innovation going out and getting a formal education, learning about it. Um, I'd realized that I'd never been in a meeting where we talked about money. We talk about flight hour budgets and we talked about operations and things like that in, in the Navy, but we really never talked about money, which is kind of important for business. So that was really the, the drive to go get the business degree um, and round out those skills. And then the big thing for me in the transition was just going out and doing, trying to start a business, doing some informal internships. I, I reached out to a bunch of uh um, when our, our business ultimately failed, it was a, a you know a business failure, but a personal success in the sense that we got a lot of skills and experience. We met a lot of people. And I just reached out to other veterans who had transitioned and asked how I could help their business. And so I ended up doing a few informal internships for, for some one nonprofit and two startups, just helping them wherever they needed help, things that they didn't have uh, capacity to solve. And so what you know, I kind of asked the question, what do you need that you're not that you don't have time to do today? Some of it was around sales, some of it was around marketing, some of it was around future product. Um, and so those informal internships with some of those veteran-led startups, I think, really rounded out my skill set and, and gave me a lot of like resume bullets that when I ultimately went to interview it into it, it wasn't just all military bullets on the on the resume. And so that's a little bit about the transition. I just want to point out for listeners, I think that this bias to action, the sense of going to the airport and knocking on doors, I feel like that's such a great representation of what entrepreneurship can look like. And so getting that hands-on experience while you're having the academic component to complement it, I'm, I really admire that. And I think it's great, this sense of these informal internships. And the phrase that I wrote down that I just really liked about that is, what do you need that you don't have time to do? And I think that's a great approach for anyone wanting to add value. The piece there from an entrepreneurial perspective is the empathy of like, okay, what does this person need? Not what's the solution that I have? Oh, okay, these are the three things they need. This is one that I could reasonably figure out how to do. Let me do that. 
And it sounds like you were able to leverage these informal internships, not just to learn, but to have an external credibility with companies like Intuit to say, okay, I've done work to get some skills. You're not going to be investing from scratch for me to, to kind of come up to speed. So I think all of those are great for others to emulate. Yeah. When I began interviewing, uh, my first interview, my resume was just all military bullets. It was like 10 different jobs that I held in the military. And the resume that got me the job at Intuit had one small bullet about my military experience and then a bunch of these kind of other experiences, um, you know, a product management internship, a digital marketing strategist internship, things like that, that, that really helped out. And to your point, I think there's a few levels of networking, like the lowest form of networking is literally just, you know, reaching out emailing, things like that. You're actually getting to know people. There's a higher level of networking, which is around, am I adding value? Am I actually helping somebody achieve their goals and getting to work with somebody so they can observe um, how you work, what makes you tick and things like that. And that's really where you build relationships that will benefit you in the future. And in the meantime, it's you feel good knowing that you're contributing. That's great. That's great. And I want to hear what drew you to Intuit and what your experience there was like. I do want to to share that um, my first company, Storybox, my previous company, the first big, big, big deal we had was with Intuit. So I still, you know, that's, you know, nine years ago, I still, every time I hear the name, I, it, it brings up positive emotion. And the founder of Intuit, Scott Cook, had given us this great quote that we used in all our case studies about our technology. But I also, you know, I'm in QuickBooks, which is an Intuit product. Like most businesses on the planet, I'm in QuickBooks on it like a daily basis. And so the tools that they use are used by millions and hundreds of millions of businesses. And so I'm kind of curious, but I, I didn't know about them at all in the military. So I'm curious how you found out about the opportunity and what your experience was like there. When I was going through business school and when I started getting interested in innovation, listening to these podcasts, reading books and all the assignments at business school, it seemed like every semester there was a case study on Intuit in the corporate governance class, like how to have a really well-run, well-governed company. Intuit kept coming up. In the financial performance class, it was like charting the stock performance of Intuit and how does Intuit outperform the market every year. And then in the innovation classes, it was like, how does this company continue to reinvent itself? There was a quote from, a, I think it was a Forbes article, but it was, why isn't Intuit dead yet? The things they do aren't that hard, right? Like in accounting software, you're literally just moving numbers up and down and, and tabulating and things like that. That's not a complicated software, but it's really about the way that they make the users feel, the experience, and then being able to solve deeper level business problems and personal problems for them. So that's that was the reason is because Intuit constantly reinvents and pushes the edge on innovation and things like that. And so all of those things just really drew me in. And then I listened to a few um, interviews from the CEO, Brad Smith, the CEO at the time, and just hearing his passion drew me into the to the business and just solidified that that was the kind of place that I'd want to work. And to your point, like in the military, you, you kind of don't know um, was outside the walls of the base. And I found out that there was a large campus in San Diego, like 10 miles from my home. And and so um, I started having coffee with all the veterans that worked there. I applied, I think, to maybe 50 or 60 jobs and uh, ended up getting turned down. But then I got a call back on a job that was just perfect for me, just personality as a business development role doing fin financial technology partnerships, fintech partnerships. And just to, to make sure I'm tracking, you said you, it was 50 to 60 jobs that you got turned down on. Is that right? Yeah. Or didn't hear back. And then I ended up, ended up going to coffee with another veteran. And uh, he's like, well, 
you know, I'm kind of new here, but there's a guy at, at Intuit. This is a, a vice president. His name's Matt, and you know, he's pretty high up, and um, he helps the veterans get in, involved. And so he ended up uh, taking the resume, forwarding it to a recruiter. I never met him, um, and he just forwarded the, the resume along, and I got a call back later that day for an interview. That's awesome. It's uh, plus one for, for getting coffee with someone and just meeting with lots of people. But I, I like to set that in the context, too, of that, that seems like a good pipeline, 50 to 60, throwing your hats in the ring. And those 50 to 60 probably represent hundreds of conversations. And one of them works out. And it is kind of serendipity that that person you were having coffee with knew this person and they were willing to take your resume. But I really like that quote, the harder I work, the luckier I am. And it sounds like you were putting in the reps and and one of those panned out. Yeah, I would say too, just just being really passionate. And we get this at, at our company when we're interviewing people. If, if somebody's really passionate and they've done the research, it really stands out against the crowd. And so I think that was one thing that carried me into that role. Um, was just being really passionate about the culture, the people, all of those things. And have you done the research? Do you know what the values are? Have you listened to a podcast or a video interview of your boss, right? Um, do you understand how they, the, the employees talk about the business? All those things from a preparation standpoint, when you show up, it really, it really sets you apart. That's great. I know that you worked in innovation while you were there, and I think you were there for a couple of years, right? Talk about a little bit what you did and learned while you were there. Yeah, Intuit has this great program called Design for Delight. And so it's not really about, you know, making products that customers like like. It's about going a step beyond and making sure that they're delighted. Like, do they do they go out and tell their friends about it? Do they are there surprises in the product? Do they work so well that it just gives them a smile on their face? And so there's a whole framework around that, kind of similar to this like the lean startup methodology, but for for um, innovation inside the business. They have a group called the Innovation Catalysts, and there's a small group of people within Intuit. You have to go through some training, and then they give you 10% of your time to go and coach other teams on, on innovation principles, workshops, thinking through big problems and things like that. So I, I was lucky enough to get selected and, and work as an Innovation Catalyst. And so really the spark there is getting to, to innovate through others and getting to help people unblock and think big and solve big problems. And a lot of it is around getting deep customer empathy. So going out and talking to customers, getting insights, watching customers interact with the product, um, and then doing what they call follow me homes. So going home with customers to, to use the product in their environment. And a few times a year, Intuit would shut down and send all employees home, and like the including all the um, the executives and the executives would fly to follow um, TurboTax users around in their day to day, and then sit down with them to do their taxes. And the same with small business owners, and sit down with them to do their books at the end of the month and things like that. And so that's a little bit of the innovation culture at Intuit, and a little bit of how I uh, was involved. I've never heard of it like that being institutionalized. I definitely understand the benefit of usability, and there's a great book called. Don't Make Me Think that I read a decade ago about just kind of user design. And when you see people use things, they often do it differently than you intended. You could have a web page with one button on it that's like, click here to upload. And you could ask someone like, uh, could you upload a document? They're like, I don't know where to click. And you're like, oh man. So there's so much value there, but I love how they, they even shut down the company to, to make room for that, that nothing shows values and priorities more than a company taking action like that. And it seems like that level of empathy and understanding and curiosity has really driven their, their innovation. And so how did the opportunity with interlace.io come about? Like, how did you hear about them? How did you know it was time to move on from Intuit? Yeah. So I was, I was at Intuit 
love the company, love the culture. I can't recommend it enough. And, and, um, I'm still a huge advocate and, um, trying to help veterans break into, to, into it. Um, I was having a great time, you know, things were going well professionally and I just had this weird pull to go out and do something different. And so I couldn't explain it. Like I, I love the culture of Intuit. I, I still would, you know, in the future, go back and things, but I had this insane pull to go out and, and start something, do something, build something. And so I ended up leaving with a few ideas to go do another startup. And so I was in the garage, um, with sticky notes, whiteboard, that kind of thing. I gave myself about a six month runway to build, build a business, but only a few days into that journey, it was just kind of serendipity. The phone rang and I got a voicemail from a recruiter looking for a CEO for interlaced. And so I kind of molded over and was like, okay, well, there's a, it's an established company. I'm trying to do a startup. I'm a startup person. I'm an innovation person. So I ended up calling them back and I found that all the things that I was looking for in a startup, building a team, getting to set a vision, you know, create a product and all those things, I got to do it in, at Interlace with an established business um, that had already found product market fit. And the company um, just had a really unique take on IT services. So a cloud-focused, Apple-focused, uh, uh, remote service approach to IT services with an established team, like a really high-performing, well-run team, and just this blue-sky market. You know, companies who need these services either don't know they, they don't need them or are going to continue to need them as the next generation of um, employees come into the workforce. By and large, they want to use Apple technology at work. The companies, you know, they work for either out of obligation or just out of the way things have always been run are using PCs. But the prevalence of Apple technology at work is increasing, you know, year over year over year. Cloud fo- for cloud focused, remote focused IT services are becoming more and more relevant and then accelerated over the last year, specifically with, with COVID. And so the team was, was a great team, a great product and service, um, and then a huge opportunity to grow the company. Um, and so all the things that you would look for in a startup I found at Interlaced. What I admire most there is your flexibility. I, you know, I can kind of get stuck on I, I'm wanting something. This is the shape of it. This is the way that it looks. And so when I hear you with sticky notes and this six month runway at the start of that journey of I'm going to start this company, it seems like those roots extend all the way back to active duty when you were getting your MBA. So I could see myself in that situation viewing that as a distraction of like, no, I'm going to turn this down because I'm going to start this company. But it sounds like you were able to kind of realize the values that you were getting at, like the need beneath being an entrepreneur you were getting at, which is running a company, growing an organization, driving innovation. And you were willing to drop your clinging to the view of what it should be and say like, oh, this looks different, it sounds different, it smells different than what I had envisioned, but it actually meets the needs that I was trying to serve, and therefore I'm going to be open to this. And I like that even more because I feel like in popular culture, we sometimes prize the entrepreneur as laser-focused, fixated, without any distraction, never turning their head, like just eyes on the prize. And this, to me, is an example where you benefited by being open, by being willing to adapt and kind of give up on the way you thought it would look like because you realized, oh, this is a this is a short, this is like a fast track to exactly where I want to be, which is running a company that's innovative. So I just really admired that characteristic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was I was going to point out too that it's not just a decision. It wasn't like a discrete light bulb moment. It, it takes time and it's a little bit messy. But working through your own, you know, working through your own ego or your own preconceived notions of what your career should be and being open a little bit to serendipity. I tell 
transitioning veterans all the time. Like you don't know what the the path is going to be, but as long as you're getting down the the path towards like what your what your ultimate goals are, um, you got to bake in a little bit of serendipity. You know, the we wrap up so much in our identity while we're in the military. You put on your uniform, you buy in for an extended contract and things like that. And the your civilian careers is, is always much different. It's it's always just kind of it's more fluid and and there's there's many more paths you can take. So I think just getting being open and and honest with yourself and sometimes those are hard conversations. Like the hardest conversations are with your with yourself and getting over your getting over your your own ego. Yeah. Baking in serendipity is such a great phrase, such a great encapsulation as well. I want to dive into more of the journey for interlace, but let's let's maybe first zoom out and and could you kind of just explain you you run into another Navy veteran on the street and they asked, okay, what does Interlaced do? How do you answer that? Interlace is essentially an outsourced IT department and a turnkey IT program for small businesses who otherwise would need to hire an IT manager, would need to try to scrappily assemble the program themselves or is looking, just looking to grow. And so we often find when customers come to us, they're struggling with a few things, either somebody internally, the CEO, in many cases, the development team, maybe it's the the CFO or HR is running the IT program as a side job. And that's not what they're intended to do. That's not what they're paid to do. It's not what gives them gratification. They're just kind of doing it and they do an okay job up until they get to about 10, 15 employees. And then especially when they're about to hit a growth curve, they just hit a round of funding. They're going to hire a bunch of people. They're going to start a new market. Things get really complex and they also get bogged down with the the tedium of, of, of managing this IT program. They also don't have the skill set either to do it themselves or if they're going to hire someone. Hiring an IT manager is, is good, but often they don't know how to hold them accountable. They don't understand the work. They don't know how to train and develop with that person. And so it's, it's, it's a pretty difficult proposition of how do we navigate the IT landscape. There's a lot of ways to spend money in IT and, and cybersecurity. There's a lot of ways to waste money in IT and cybersecurity. Um, and so that's essentially what we do for them. We give them a program that supports their business and helps their, their business achieve their business goals, whether that's growing, getting the next round of funding, like proving to investors that they they have the requisite cybersecurity or proving to their customers when they start to hit a scale where they start to maybe work with more enterprise-grade customers, proving to them that they have the cybersecurity and IT footprint to be able to protect their data. So that's that's what we do in a nutshell. It's, you know, the two things that stand out to me is one, I'm a huge fan of out, outsourcing and I see outsourced accounting. I used an outsourced accounting firm. I see outsourced tech. I see outsourced, you know, every functional area. I had never thought about the IT role in that department. I mean, it's oftentimes a department as like most small businesses do not need a dedicated IT person or a team. And so like that, first of all, strikes me as like, okay, that's a really good idea. But then second, you know, the number of conversations I have right now with businesses and this, this hiring environment we're in, which is very difficult to hire talent. I feel like more and more companies, you know, I don't, I don't like to say the word forced, but essentially are going to be forced to work with more companies like Interlace because they can't hire their IT person. It's just kind of like, so there's a couple things that are, I think, in your favor here with your business that I'm hoping are, are leading to the continued growth. And you've already been on a huge trajectory. One thing I wanted to ask about is like, what does that look like? So you, the way I understand it, you're kind of brought on by a recruiter or found by a recruiter. You go through this process. Process, you're the next CEO, but you're not the CEO that day. Obviously, there's a lot to learn. 
what did that journey look like from accepting this role to becoming CEO? Like how long was that and what were you doing in that intervening time? So we went through the interview process. Um, there was a outgoing CEO who had done a, a great job running the company for a few years and a really strong management team, including a COO who's who still my, my partner to this day. Um, and they'd been doing a great job running the company. The outgoing CEO had made the decision she was going to move on. And she's now um, a venture capitalist and doing doing amazing things in the Bay Area. So there was a little bit of sensitivity, right? Like we we don't want to let the team know too early. We want to plan for a transition because the the CEO transition is really important. You want to make sure that the team has the confidence that the things they love about the company will continue. There's always a fear of change when when things like that happen. And so you start to plan out the, the messaging. I also need to start learning the business pretty quickly. We gave it about six weeks where I was kind of working in the background, reviewing a lot of the strategic documentation, reviewing the finances, getting to know the team like before um, really, really going out. And then a big focus was on the announcement and the announcement to the team, the announcement to partners and the, the announcement to clients and, and making sure that all three of those parties had confidence that the, the business would continue to provide the same level of, of service and the same level of um, support. Yeah, I just, you know, I admire the former CEO for, I, I don't know what reasons caused her to move on, but I'm guessing part of that thought process is this is my baby that I've shepherded and, and grown and I either want or need someone with a different skill set or different life circumstances to take this to the next level and, and being really in de- intentional in the handoff and the impact on employees and, comp- and, and clients and all of these things. And I'm jealous of, of your experience because I know, you know, I looked at in business school search funds a lot and I know we've had a couple guests on the show who did a search fund, which for listeners who haven't listened to those episodes, it's essentially raising money to find a company to then buy and run as CEO. And obviously in your case, you're not buying the company, but you are embedded as the CEO. And I'm guessing with some some upside there. So you were able to to bypass the search entirely and just kind of come into a well-run company to take it to the next level, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. I go back to the serendipity, right? Like I wouldn't have plotted this career path for myself and seeing it kind of unfold and going through the thought process of like, what could this be? What does this mean for my family? What does this mean for me? You mentioned one thing that I think is really important is the timing, like the timing kind of felt right. I had some friends who have evaluated positions like this and some friends that are currently um, evaluating positions like this. And it really, it really is kind of the right person at the right time for the right company. And all three of those things need to line up. Like I feel really lucky that I found a company that shares my values and I'm able to influence, to take on more of my, my values, my personality. Um, but um, it, it really is about finding the right fit. And, and I think that goes for most jobs, but specifically for, for these kind of roles. What was, you know, the first six months like as you assume the helm, you know, of an outgoing commanding officer, so to speak. And I'm just imagining it's this emotional intelligence juggling act of getting to know people, respecting what they have built, being able to insert new ideas without rubbing people the wrong way and being able to learn and realize that you don't know so much and relying on the team. Like it just seems like an incredible balancing act. What were those six months like? Yeah, I think you nailed it, right? It is an emotional intelligence like juggling act. And it's also a little bit of a self-consciousness juggling act, right? So you you go through and you have these ideas of how you can make the business better. And at this point, I had a, you know, when I, on day one, I had about a six week head start of learning the business, 
um, already kind of understanding some of the team dynamics and getting a really strong pass down from the outgoing CEO and then jumping in and you have to kind of modulate that excitement for change. Like, okay, we have this great idea and and be really empathetic to the fact that the team has been through a CEO transition and a few years prior that they'd been through an acquisition and things like that. And so you really have to try to, to balance those things as well as defining like what this is a different company, like, right, this is, we're on a different trajectory. What are the goals? What, what is the purpose of the, the company? And like, why do we do like redefining the why? And so all of those things, it is, you mentioned it really well, it is a balancing act, like, especially coming from Intuit and the innovation culture and the pace of change and the ability to test products and, and implement them really quickly. Um, going from that environment of an 11,000 person, like innovation machine to going to a 16 person company at the time, and where you have daily client commitments and things like that. It is just a, it was a, a big mindset shift. And I found myself needing to pull back, like not lean in as much on change and things like that. And then balancing that against, there are some, you know, real structural changes that we need to make or places where we want to invest and things like that. So it is a challenge. And there are some things if I had a do-over, I definitely would do them a little bit differently. Maybe lean into my gut a little bit more and, and be more firm on, on certain things. And then there are some some things that obviously went well and we've been able to grow the company. But yeah, it is, it is, uh, it is a challenge. And then you also, the other thing with this type of role is the scorecard is really is really difficult right it's it's not a daily scorecard it's not how many how many deals did i sign this week or you know how many tickets did i solve today or did i clear out my to-do list you really measure your your impact in terms of your impact on the team your impact on the culture your impact on the bottom line quarters and years instead of in in days and weeks and and so that the mindset shift there um, was something that I struggled with early on and something that I've got better with over time. It's interesting for me that, you know, two things that come through for me is that the role of patience of really being excited and eager to grow a company. And, and it sounds like having to rein that back and be patient, but there's also this component where you, you talked about trusting your gut more and, and holding a firmer line. And I just imagine the delicate balance there of not knowing, you know, am I pushing too hard to change this versus am I being too lax? And am I having to, I mean, any change in personal life or professional life is in my view, excruciatingly difficult. And so getting people to change to a new way, I'm, I'm imagining you experience friction and then there's probably questions of like, am I going too fast? Is this the wrong thing? There's so many doubts that come up. And so that the, the role of both patience, but then trusting your in, intuition seem like really good takeaways from that. Yeah. The one additional thing I would add there is just having the courage to be yourself and not try to take on and emulate too much of like your predecessor. I had a, like I was following a very strong leader, a very intelligent, very emotionally intelligent, charismatic, energetic leader. We shared a lot of the same traits, but she was much more, I think, like openly enthusiastic and just had some, some leadership qualities that I don't. And so being able to lean into the, you know, your kind of true self and not try to, not try to emulate and have the, the courage not to be that person, but to be yourself um, was something that pretty quickly I was able to kind of like recognize and, and, and lean into. But if I were to do it again, I would have just leaned much more into, you know, your innate being and not really try to play the role of the CEO or just just to, to, to really bring your full self to work every day. And I'm, I'm appreciating the awareness of that even. I could see how it would be very easy to subconsciously just slip into emulating or feeling like this is a caricature you need to play rather than like realizing your own uniqueness and the differences. And I imagine that's compounded by realizing that some of what 
the way that this previous CEO acted drove success. And so wanting to emulate that to continue it, but then also realizing you've got your own style, your own strengths, your own viewpoint even. And and imagining just trusting the process that you were selected for a reason, you were selected to follow that those instincts to be able to grow the company. Yeah. And the other thing too is what I've learned is like our peer group the, of, of other CEOs who I tend to compare myself to, um, some of them are three or four years into that journey. And so to see the way that they make decisions, to see the way they act. And then also following my predecessor, she had a few years of, of ramp to get to, to that. And she also is going to make decisions differently. And that's okay. Like business is hard. There are no perfect decisions. There are no right. A lot of times there are no right decisions. They're just um, the situations change. And so giving yourself the grace to go off and, and lean in and, and make your own decisions and things like that is is a really powerful thing. And not and also just um, being kind to yourself on your transition because it is, it, you know, growing into a role like this takes time. Yeah, that's great. I love that, that sense of grace. I wanted to zoom in on one part of your bio. It says, you know, two years ago, you took over as CEO, tripling the size of the company over that time through organic growth and a recent acquisition. And I'm curious to hear about that, but specific, I'm always interested in tactics as an entrepreneur myself of things that you did that led to that growth. And, you know, not everyone can claim to have done an acquisition. So I'm curious what that experience was like. Sure. Yeah. So one step further. So I I found the company in October of 2019. I had about five months um, to learn the business and and get a hold of everything. And then March of 2020, the world shut down. So we lost about uh, 25 to 30% of our revenue overnight within a week of just kind of steady state operations. And then um, when, when everybody went remote. And so that period of time, I think was crucial to me having a deeper level of understanding of the business of what was really important, what was what was critical, and also to develop some really strong relationships with our clients where you know they reached out and, and were having a terrible time and we were able to partner with them to help see them through some of that time. We also kind of refactored our services during that time. So we said, okay, this acceleration to remote services is happening. So where can we lean in? And we felt pretty good about our clients were able to work remotely pretty seamlessly, but how do we prepare ourselves for this like permanent shift? And so we really leaned in and we came out with a few new service models, a new a few new service packages. And then the rest of 2020 had been it was pretty lean, right? Like the the business development slowed down, new new client sales slowed down and things like that. But at the tail end of 2020, when the world is kind of coming up for air, our service had been even more um, was more resonant with the market. And so that that process of preparing the business to be to run really lean and then also figuring out what service model is going to really work in the this new world we were going to emerge into those the combination of those two things helped our business grow like crazy um, when the world was was ready to open back up I can only imagine the uh terror that must have you know switching jobs at a time when the world melts down but one thing I really think is great about this story is that in some ways apart from like the personal fear it's kind of the ideal situation to assume the leadership mantle when the environment in which you're working completely changes because then it 
it forces the company to change and you coming with a background of innovation, you're able to reassess the landscape and say, okay, this is actually a different world in this moment than it was when the previous CEO was here. So let's take a clean sheet approach. What does make sense? What doesn't make sense? And it really comes back to that empathy of understanding your clients that were struggling and where they needed help and where to do that. So I don't envy the initial part of that. I imagine it must've been really scary to think a third of your revenue going away, having just assumed responsibility, but trusting that background and innovation and empathy. And I imagine it's galvanizing for the team, right? Like never waste a crisis. You've got a new captain at the helm and then you're going through this incredible hurricane. I imagine that really galvanized your team around this new direction with you at the the center of the leadership post. For sure. I wouldn't want to do it again, Um, but um, I'm really (laughs) grateful for the way the team came together and powered through. I also won't take too much credit for the innovation and the service package. Our team had been listening to the clients had been, you know, like really gathering detail and had a really strong opinion of, of how the service should, needs to evolve. And so just giving the team credit and leaning into the, to the work that they were already doing to come out of it. And we tried a bunch of things that ultimately didn't work, but the things that we were able to stick have made all the difference since then. And so we've emerged really well from it. And uh, so over the course of Q4 of 2020, the sales really started to pick up because we had this this model that was really resonant. And then over 2021, it's just been amplifying and, and continuing to grow. And then you mentioned the the acquisition. So on uh, we we doubled in size between January 1st and September 30th of, of 2021. And then on October 1st, um, we acquired a 12-person company in Los Angeles that does very similar service package to what we do. Their business is, is really structured very similar to how ours is. And so it's kind of a natural extension. They're, the building blocks just really lined up. And then the cultural element was really important for us. And uh, we have a, a really strong leadership team there that will continue to drive that business. And uh, we'll kind of give them some of the... Um, tools that we've learned, we'll borrow some of their tools and we'll, we'll continue to drive now with two brands, um, you know, one that's focused on the Los Angeles market and then Interlace, which is focused um, San Diego, Orange County, San Francisco. And then we have a, a remote uh, remote focus as well. That's been the journey there. How does that, you know, I, I have a lot of trepidation around just hiring employees because I, I know that one of my business school profs said, you know, on a good day, you kind of get 50% of the time you get it right. <laughs> And, and 50% of the time, you just, you know, n- no fault of yours or the other person, you just hire the wrong person. So I feel like hiring is challenging. And, and I feel like acquisition is a whole nether realm because now you've got an organization, you don't know kind of the bad parts of their culture, the good parts of their culture, the skeletons in the, the, the closet. How were you able to evaluate that? Did it feel like a hiring process of evaluating culture and things like that? Or wh- how, what was the approach that you took to really know that this was a good fit for you? For sure. Yeah. So it all starts, I think, with the foundation, foundational relationship and trust. And there's a bit of a courting element of like the first conversation, you know, it's really about getting to know the founder and then through them, because you're, you're still, you need to be a, very cautious to not like unveil these plans too early. And so you really are working with the founder um, one-on-one to understand their business, to understand their team, the culture. Um, and then you kind of go through a diligence process of understanding the financials, understanding the customers, understanding the team. But really it, it all boils down to that relationship. It's do you have a common sense of vision for what the, the new venture will be with the founder? Do you give them the confidence that you're going to protect their 
legacy that the they're going to protect their their team um and then do they trust you to go through that process in a way that if you decide mutually to to back out their business asset is still protected they still need to run a business and so if they find out that the uh founder is trying to sell the business that's going to kind of raise eyebrows for the team and you know it could potentially evaluate trust and so you, you have to be very sensitive to all of that but it, it all boils down to that um foundational relationship you have with the founder and do they trust you to to protect their asset and their legacy one last question then a catch-all question but i always like to ask about resources but you just kind of strike me as someone who is always learning and sharpening and i'm just wondering if there's any book or program or anything that's helped you in your career in your entrepreneurial journey that you would recommend to, to listeners and another way of, of putting this question is is uh, how can you cost me money by having me order something on amazon right after this like i <laughs> yeah I'll give you two. One that's just really resonant for me, and I'm really passionate about coaching and helping people develop and giving back. And the one I'll point to there is Trillion Dollar Coach. And it's about a former CEO of Intuit who had also been a coach of college football. He's, he spent time in high school and college football. And then in his late 40s, he uh, ended up transitioning to, to becoming a business executive. And so he brought that kind of coaching mindset to Intuit. And then he ended up being a coach to a bunch of the Silicon Valley um, executives, like Google executives and CEOs. And he's on the board of, I think, a, a few different billion-dollar companies. And so it's called the trillion-dollar coach that he, he was coaching at one point, executives who represented trillion dollars of uh, market capital. So that's that's one. And then the second one is um, a Simon Sinek book, I believe. It's The Infinite Game. And that's a really about, um, in business, it's, it's not just about how well did you perform on this mission? How, you know, how many points did you put on the board today? It's really about building something enduring. And so that, that's been really helpful for me in this, specifically in this role. That's great. And for listeners, I'll add those both in the show notes at uh, beyondtheuniform.org, Trillion Dollar Coach and the Infinite Game. I know that we are just scratching the surface. There's so much here that we could talk about, but I'd love to leave the last question open-ended, which is, Either, you know, what have we not talked about that you really want to make sure that you have a chance to say, or what are some kind of parting words of wisdom that you would leave with listeners? Sure. Yeah, I'll address the transitioning veterans, if that's okay. And I, I think um, we put so much effort and importance on our identity um, when we're in the military, right? You're, you go to work. It's not just a job. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a community it's a mission. It's a calling. And I know a lot of veterans transitioning out um, are looking for that. They're looking for that purpose-driven company, that, that mission-driven company. And I think by and large, you can find those companies that, that have those values and have that focus. But if you put all of your eggs in, in that basket, I think you're, you'll still come up short. And so one thing I think, Justin, that I respect what you're doing here is you're giving back to the community on top of doing the work, you know, purpose-driven work in your in your day-to-day. Um, and so you're going to need to find something like that. And, you know, going back to the whole, give yourself some grace. Um, it's okay that like, you know, you have a job that, you know, a few months in, a few years in, you may find yourself that even though you're at this fast-growing startup or this purpose-driven brand or what have you, you're still looking for more. And, and that's because you come from an environment um, where everything you're all in on on the, the military as a community, as an identity, as a culture, um, and so um, I, I would encourage everyone to even as they're transitioning, find ways to to start to scratch that itch. Um, doing what you're doing, connecting others, giving back, mentoring, coaching, um, those kind of things, and I think you'll have a, a more fulfilling career if you do that. That that would be my uh, my parting advice. 
I really like that. I remember, you know, I'm 10 years into a marriage and it was probably five years ago where I realized, and I forget the source of it, but I just realized like, oh, I feel like we've romanticized marriage to like all needs meet, need to be met by one person, which is not, I don't believe that's possible. No one on the, the planet could meet every single need that I have. And that, you know, I get those needs met in different ways. What I hear and what you're saying is similar in our career, which is like, you can't expect one job to fulfill everything. And I feel like if we're, you know, probably as, as veterans being honest, the military didn't meet all of my needs, right? Like in, in retrospect, it's easy to kind of envision the positive aspects that I loved and the camaraderie. And there was a lot that I disliked while I was in. So even the military was not all needs met. And what I hear in your advice is like, you know, we, we have the flexibility and freedom to pursue those different aspects that bring our life meaning. And it might not all come from a single source. And I hope that that's empowering for listeners because you get to chart that course and create that portfolio of your activities that bring meaning and fulfillment and providing and all of these other things. So I, I really appreciate that advice. Well, thank you so much, Justin, for having me. This has been awesome. Yeah. Where can people find you if they'd like to learn more? Yeah. So LinkedIn, um, Justin Wells on, on LinkedIn. If anybody is interested in learning more about uh, what we do specifically here at Interlace, um, feel free to reach out, justin at interlace.io. Um, and then uh, we, we don't do a ton on Twitter. LinkedIn or LinkedIn is, is probably the best bet. Surface, Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our Chief of Staff, Steve Bain, our Editor, Lex Brown, and our Head of Social Media, Janelle Hanf. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for-purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career in life.